minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the Masson All Access podcast from the Masson Web Studio. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings coming at you live on the Masson Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Tuesday afternoon. And if you're not checking us out live, hopefully you're checking us out on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. We do appreciate you all tuning into the show, making yourselves a part of the show, and joining us every single week, especially during these slow baseball months during. <laughs> the calendar year. Amy, you came in on a hot ball of fire singing Jingle Bells. Yes. Christmas music. I have to say, it's kind of timing because on my way in today, I heard, for those of you who live in the D.C. area, 97.1, Wash FM, mm-hmm. D.C.'s home for the holidays, they announced, <laughs> I heard them make their announcement. I'm not calling out this outlet, by the way. I'm just, just stating a fact. They announced that they are starting their Christmas music playlists Friday night at 6 p.m. It is November 9th. Are you a Christmas starts after Halloween person or after Thanksgiving person? Thanksgiving. Halloween is far too early. I'm with you too, even though I was singing Jingle Bells. I know. And it's like 72 degrees out. It's also very warm out, yes. I'm not sure why we came in with the Christmas spirit, but... um, It's just funny that you were singing Jingle Bells and I heard (laughs) that announcement this morning. I was like, that is far too early to start Christmas music or uh, holiday music. And that'll be uh, November 12th. Thanksgiving is still two weeks away, over two right. weeks away. Um, that's a bit early for me. And I am, I love Christmas. It's me my too, favorite time yeah. of year. I, I mean, I like start December 1st, I think. Yeah. That's I, my day. I, Those 25 okay. days are my days leading up to Christmas. You do the fan, was it fan form now? Uh, 25 oh, well, days of Christmas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the day after Thanksgiving is where the Blanco household starts Christmas music. Yeah. That's actually a rule laid down by my father. My father does not like Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Day after Thanksgiving, all day, twenty four seven, no okay. no problem. But uh, yeah, it is it is interesting that you came in singing Jingle Bells, <laughs> um, and I heard that Christmas music will be starting playing later this week in the D.C. area. So if you're a fan of Christmas, you're welcome. If you're not a fan of the holiday tunes, I won't sing. Might it have to avoid on that podcast, one station for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> what we will talk about on this podcast, of course, is baseball. We have some house, some more house cleaning news and notes to get through. We're going to talk about the state of the Nationals' forty-man roster. Last week, we talked a lot about free agency and where the Nationals could target some some uh, premier free agents and what positions they could uh, need to address on their on their roster. Mm-hmm. Um, we are just a little over a week away from the deadline to add prospects to the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. I think next week we'll get more into that and have updates on the players that are playing in the Arizona Fall League. I think that league ends next Friday as well, so we'll be into the last week of that season going in next week. And if you want current updates right now, I wrote up a quick uh, report on the eight guys playing in the Arizona Fall League. Guys like Jackson Clough, Jackson Rutledge, uh, Donovan Casey came over in that Dodgers trade. Uh, Israel Pineda, a catcher that uh, Nats fans should know about. They are all playing out in Arizona. There's a quick update on that on MassInSports.com as of this morning via yours truly, so you can check that out. We'll get more into that on the podcast format uh, next week. But we're going to take a broad paintbrush and just kind of paint the picture of how the 40-man roster now stands because the offseason has started to 
move a little bit. We're a week removed from the end of the World Series. We're seeing teams dish out qualifying offers. We've already seen players declining such offers. That does not apply to the Nationals. They didn't hand out any of those, so we don't have to worry about that um, and then possibly gaining uh, draft picks um, if the player signs elsewhere. So that's not an issue for the Nationals uh, to, to bother. But we're going to be talking about the overall um, state of the 40-man roster, um, some minor league free agents, guys who are as of right now, not with the team because they became free agents. They are going to be retired, stuff like that. So um, some not going to be the most glamorous podcast. There's going to be a lot of names thrown out, by the way. So, you know, if, you, if you're not entirely sure of the prospect we're talking about or our name that you doesn't sound familiar, no worries. There are It's 40 men. It's a bunch of prospects we're going to be talking about, too. So don't be, don't be worried if you get a little confused. I'm going to get confused at times as well. But real quick, before we get to that, um, news came down yesterday, as reported uh, via Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. We talked about the additions, the full announcement of the David Martinez's coaching staff. And, of course, Amy, remember that Bob Henley and Randy Knorr were removed from the coaching staff and assigned different roles. We now know what those roles will be. In uh, the Nationals organization, Bob Henley named the field coordinator, Randy Nord the catching coordinator, and Sam Naren has been uh, promoted to uh, serve as the pitching coordinator for the Nationals organization. So we now know those roles for those three guys moving forward with yep. the team. And what I, I was excited to hear about Sam Naren because we've talked to him before. Yes, you've had, um, you've yeah, had him on the podcast yep, for this podcast. And he's a guy that you kind of knew the organization was high on because when they had that COVID outbreak, yep. they did bring him up. He helped out in the bullpen. So this is a guy that has been in this organization for quite a few years and to see him kind of move up, get that promotion, I think is exciting. And then these, obviously these other two gobs that, Guys, guys. And, Bob and, Gibbs and Bob Henley and Randy Knorr, not a demotion, but taking over new roles um, as they progress in their careers as well. Yeah, I'd be curious to find out. And I think I mentioned this too when we talked about the changing in the coaching staff. If this was something that the Nationals approached Bob Henley and Randy Knorr with, or if there was something that these mm-hmm. guys were, you know what, I, I need to take a step back from the major league team. That's just too long of a grind. And we can kind of more be developed and have a bird's eye view of the entire organization and work with some younger guys. So not that it really matters now that we know that they're, um, they're, they're, uh, their roles, their roles but uh, it is something to, to note, uh, just keeping up with the offseason notes, a lot of change. Again, I mean, there's going to be small roster changes, coaching, I mean, coaches are done, but you know what I mean? Small stuff like this happening throughout the course of the offseason until the big names start falling in free agency any trades or announced stuff like that. So we'll keep you updated, of course, throughout the offseason and on MassInSports.com. That's something that we needed to touch on right now. Um, and then the other thing, over the weekend on Friday afternoon, uh, the Nats added a bullpen arm. Fernando Perez, a left-hander from the Cleveland Guardians, now the Guardians organization. They outed, outrighted Kyle McGowan in a corresponding move to AAA. 24-year-old, six foot two, 250-pound reliever. Um, a, looks like a solid... He only made four appearances with Cleveland in the major leagues, but had a really solid minor league right. career, uh, or season, I should say, last year between AA and AAA. Yeah, 1.87 ERA over those 30 games in the minor leagues. And then he came up, gave up three runs 
in his major league debut, but then threw five and a third scoreless innings after that. So it's kind of a low-risk guy with a high upside here. Uh, you like what you saw in the minor leagues. He did pretty well when he got moved up. Um, and now the Nationals have another lefty in that bullpen, which we talked about yeah. last week. They needed another lefty to go along with Sam Clay, mm -hmm. potentially. Um, and they got him in Fernando Perez. 82, Francisco Perez, 82 strikeouts to just 29 walks for Perez and only gave up two home runs over 30 games in the minor leagues. That's something you want to see, keeping the ball in the yard and not putting guys on base at a high rate. Uh, so that is obviously something that attracted Mike Rizzo, David Martinez. That's something that the Nationals relievers really struggled with, mm -hmm. especially later on in the season. One, keeping the ball in, in the yard, and two, keeping guys off base via the walk. Right. Um, and so his numbers right there, and I know he only pitched in six and two-thirds innings in the, in the majors, but those minor league numbers really stand out to you, and hopefully he's only 24. Mm -hmm. He's a rookie through next season still, so next year will still count as his rookie year. He's not arbitration eligible until after the 2024 season, and then not a free agent until after the 2027 season. So the Nash, that's a guy with a control and has a proven track record at the minor league system. And not just, you know, low A or rookie level, right. double A and triple, triple A. So he's right on the fringe right there of possibly being a major contributor in this bullpen. And like you said, another lefty. We've talked about the need to add another lefty to go along with Sam Clay because there's a lot of right-handers in this bullpen. And we'll talk about some other lefties that have, are now since departed mm -hmm. with, with the team entering free agency. So a, a strong add by Mike Rizzo. Yeah, for sure. And he was in that Guardians organization for seven years. And in 2019, he kind of got caught up with the injury bug, didn't pitch a whole lot. And then, of course, in 2020, that COVID year, he didn't pitch at all. Right. And then 2021, he was healthy again, came back on the scene. They made him a full-time reliever. He started as a starter. 2019 kind of moved him to the bullpen. 2021, completely in the bullpen. And you saw the results, moved up quickly, double, triple A, obviously made his debut. And now he's with the Nationals organization. So that lefty, I think, is the huge uh, pinpoint or highlight of this get. Yeah, if you're if we're counting, which I think we should be, of course, Patrick Corbin, um, and then we're counting Seth Romero and Josh Rogers as starters. Clay and Perez are now the only left-handers in this bullpen, um, with everyone else being a right-hander, uh, reliever, or starter, which is interesting, uh, of this whole pitching staff. So those are the only left-handed pitchers that the Nationals have on this pitching staff in total. Uh, right now. And I guess um, that will lead us into our discussion of the 40-man roster. It currently stands at, by my count, 34 players. So there's six spots open. Um, uh, Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross and Will Harris are on the 60-day injured list still. So they did not count toward the 40-man roster. They did activate them this weekend, I think. Is that part they of the... Is that part of the okay, so, so that they are would still move them to 37. I think Let's by take my a look. count. Yeah, you're right. They are. As I as I was updating this list last night, they were not they were still listed on the sixty day or so. Then that in that case, that changes the conversation a little bit because now that's three more players. So now there's thirty seven players right. on the forty man roster. Uh, those guys are now available uh, to count towards the total the total uh, roster number. And that only leaves three positions open. And and again, we have to talk about next week guys being protected from the rule of five draft, added to the forty man. Uh, you need to leave spaces open for uh, guys you want to potentially sign in free agency, maybe make a trade for. Um, I, I don't think the Nationals would be too high in gaining my major league talent for the on the trade market, but you never know. Um, so 
now that these guys are activated, that shrinks down the number of players on the 40-man roster, or spots open, I should say, on the 40-man roster. And then, of course, you lost guys like Alex Avila, Luis Avilan, Jordi Mercer, Gerardo Parra, and Ryan Zimmerman, who are officially now free agents and are free to sign with any team if they so choose. Right, and those guys, the kind of timeline, especially with Ryan Zimmerman, is unpredictable right now we could see him sign as far down the line as the start of spring training uh, so we don't know the timetable on those guys Ryan Zimmerman and Jordy Mercer I think are the two that they're most likely to yeah. sign back Jordy Mercer of course missed a whole lot of games I think over 60 games this season due to injuries but he is so versatile he can play so many positions it would be very valuable to this infield I think going into 2022 and then of course you know the whole tale with Ryan Zimmerman so those are two guys that they don't have to put on that 40 man now but could be you could be seeing things get done there later on this offseason but guys that are subjected to the rule five draft of course rule five eligible and then of course those guys you want to protect or any guys that you want to get yourself in the rule five draft mm -hmm. you have to have spots right. open for that that's true too if you want to go the other way which we talked about that's, that could be an avenue that mike rizzo might want to approach this year for the first time in a long time if ever is adding someone via the rule five draft of course, that person would have to stay on the 40-man roster for the remainder of the season, and, and you would think that would be something that the Nationals would expect to be major league ready and be able to contribute because otherwise it's taking up a roster spot, and then you have to give it or risk giving him back to his former club. Um, some other spots to, to add up, some movement, and this all kind of happened you know, over the last month or so. Over you know, Some stuff, some of these guys were activated or, or dropped the days leading up after the end of the regular season. Now they're coming official since the World Series is over. Uh, but Josh Rogers and Luis Garcia, remember, they finished the regular season on the 10-day injured list. They're back active now. Um, and they also added Tres Barrera, first baseman Mike Ford. Don't forget that he was brought over into this organization late in the season. Seth Romero, Gabe Klobositz, Yasel Tuna, Victor Robles is back on the active roster. Wander Suero, Gerardo Carrillo, who was a part of uh, that Dodgers trade, and Sam Clay back on, on the active roster as well. So they take up roster spots. Um, and then, of course, subtractions. If you're looking at subtractions, guys, Alberto Baldonado and Steven Fuentes were sent down to Rochester uh, and then became minor league free agents. Reports there are saying that Baldonado, along with Sean Nolan, have re-signed with the team on minor league deals. Mm -hmm. And Sam, uh, Steven Fuentes has elected free agency. So those are two guys that are off the 40-man roster but still within the organization, and we lose Fuentes uh, to free agency. Still doesn't mean he can't re-sign at some point, but he's no longer with the club officially right now. Exactly. Francisco Perez is actually the third guy that they've claimed off of waivers since the trade deadline because, like you mentioned, Mike Ford, and mm -hmm. we haven't talked a whole lot about no. him because he's we kind of forget about that. And also reliever Patrick Murphy, who is also on the roster right now, is another guy that they claimed off waivers uh, since the trade deadline. Let's talk about Mike Ford real quick now since we're, we're at that point. And um, you know, we talk so much about the first baseman situation and how much Ryan Zimmerman plays a part in that. I think Mike Ford now seeing him on the active roster in the, in the infielder section as, and he's listed as a first baseman, you know, he is would probably be the guy that would step up and take place. I mean, he doesn't necessarily mean that you don't go sign a first baseman or backup first, but he can play that role uh, behind Josh Bell if Zim does not come back. And of course, I don't feel, I feel like, you know, the Nationals would have no problem waving Mike Ford if Zimmer right. decided to come back. But right now, he's that placeholder as your backup first baseman, a power bat left-hander, uh, big guy, six foot 225, 29 years old. 
um, has some major league experience. I think when he was with the Rays right last year, when the Nationals claimed him off, he was having a solid minor league season. Uh, it's just interesting because we were talking about how this, you know, minor league depth at first base, there's not really anyone the Nationals can immediately call up. But here's Mike Ford, who we kind of forgot about, but hard to consider him a prospect because of his age and his experience already uh, stepping into that role. Right. Mike Ford's kind of one of those guys that's unpredictable, whether, you know, where it was, the Yankees, wherever. And I think it's kind of the same scenario with the Nationals. I don't think you would even be considering him as your starting first baseman with in, in any other team. But mm-hmm. given the situation that the Nationals are in right now and kind of the uncertainty of Ryan Zimmerman, he's definitely – not a Ryan Zimmerman, and I'm certain that they would let him go if Ryan Zimmerman makes that decision to come back. It's just kind of unclear and a conversation that you'd probably only be having with a team like the Nationals right now. If you took a look, take a look at Mike Ford's uh, career path, signed with the Yankees as an amateur free agent back in 2013, then in 17 uh, was drafted by the uh, Mariners in the Rule 5 draft, then returned to the Yankees mm-hmm. the following March, and then this past June, traded from the Yankees to the Rays, and then the Rays waived him, and the Nationals select him off ra- waivers in August. Um, and taking a look at his numbers this year, he only played, uh, I have it right here, he only played 22 games at the Major League level with the Yankees, only hit 133, eight hits, three homers, five RBIs. Not a lot of experience at the Major League level this year, but has played 29 and 50 games in the two years prior to that. You know, 29 in the 20, short and short in 2020 season is almost half of the year. Uh, for the Yankees, um, but not really numbers that really stand out. He has a career below 200 average, um, but you're probably signing him more for his potential to be a, a power bat at first base, like a like Josh Bell, than you know hit, getting for his bat. Right. I mean, if he could get that bat going, then and you, you're talking about a DH, then you know DH2, that'd yeah. be a different story too. Um, I don't think that we're obviously talking about that with the Nationals, but it's kind of unclear right now. I definitely think you're taking Ryan Zimmerman every day over Mike Ford, but obviously they see some value with him within this team right now, yeah. or he wouldn't be on this this roster. I guess they kind of figured it was a low-risk claim. Why not? Yeah, he hit a lot better in 40 games with uh, the Rays AAA affiliate in Durham. Um, 243 actually crushed um, – 11 homers for 31 RBIs in just 40 games. So some potential there. Uh, Once he got over to Rochester, not so well. Only 29 games, hit just above 200. So, yeah, it's kind of a boomer bust right there. And, again, he's not the immediate answer. He's a good stand-in for right now. If you enter spring training with Josh Bell and Mike Ford as your first baseman, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And Mm -hmm. it still allows you some time to maybe find somewhere else. You know, cuts happen, someone gets dropped. You can figure it out from there. But right now, it's, it's, it's a fine backup while you also wait for Ryan Zimmerman to make his decision. Right. It's kind well. of because when we're talking about guys that they could pen potentially, like free agents that they could potentially end up getting, and we're talking about the Mike Fours that they already have, are we talking about filling guys for yeah. this next year? Is that kind of – you don't want to say that, but is that realistic uh, for this team right now? Kind of, it seems like. That's the case. Yeah. Uh, moving over to the – let's go down the opposite way down the first baseline, back to the catcher spot, because this is something – I think the catcher situation is going to be very interesting for the Nationals heading into next year. You and I both kind of expect them to hire – and hire, <laughs> sign a, uh, a veteran backup 
uh, to help these young catchers along for the course of next season. But right now, it's just Caber Ruiz, Tres Barrera, and Riley Adams behind the plate. That's another situation where if you enter spring training with those three guys as your catchers, that's not a bad problem. I think David Martinez obviously has faith in, in Ruiz and, and, and Adams and has shown that he trusts Barrera back there with his young pitching staff because he's caught a lot of these young pitchers throughout the most of their career, you know, outside from Josiah Gray and Josh Rogers. But a lot of these young guys have, uh, have been battery mates with Barrera down in the minor league system. So that's someone that David Martinez trusts to guide these young pitchers as well. I think, yeah, and... I think if this is how it ends, I mean, if this is how they head into the season, you're okay with it. These are, but it's just the fact that these are two very young catchers and three really new catchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you confident enough that they can go out there every single day without some kind of veteran leadership to guide them along the way and pick up some of that workload here and there? Yeah. Uh, Barrera is only 27, but he's the oldest of the bunch and, of course, has been here the longest. Right. Uh, and we talked about, too, when after he was sent down, you know, he will be back. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when Alex Avila re- uh, announced his retirement at the end of the season – we figured that he would be Barrero would be the next one to step up. So these are your three catchers. Again, this is a team that is going through a rebuilding phase. I mean, this is going to be the first full year of this process. They've only really fully committed it since essentially August. So, you know, it's okay if you have three young catchers back there and a lot of young pitchers and you're looking for, you know, Caber Ruiz is going to be your is your number one overall prospect. You're looking for him to have a breakout season next year and and possibly contend for rookie of the year. I mean, that's a lot of expectations, but you know what I mean. Like having a a solid, strong season as your number one catcher, and then Riley Adams proved that he could be more than serviceable as a backup, showing some sneaky pop at times, um, and then also doing pretty well behind the plate defensively. So, uh, I, I think. David Martinez is comfortable with these three guys, especially those top two guys, and Barrera as your third emergency guy who could possibly start in AAA and come up if needed. And maybe depending, you leave it like this this year, depending on how the the development of Riley Adams and how he ends up doing, you wait until you're competitive in two years, and then you're signing a veteran backup. Yeah. Uh, because that's often how you see you know, rosters constructed. So maybe it's a matter of letting these guys out there this year develop, get their games in, and then what in next year, maybe the year after that, that's when you're signing a veteran catcher that's likely to take a little bit more of the workload than they would this year, and that's how they'll do it. Yeah, and then going to the the outfield, I mean, just real quick, I mean, also finishing up the infield, I guess Yasul Antuna is now in there as a shortstop. Um, I, I don't really foresee him entering spring training as like your backup infielder right now. Right. He's just on there right now to, to fill that spot. Um, you're still assuming right now, I'll see Escobar will be your starting shortstop Garcia at second, Kiwum at third, and then they will try to figure out another backup plan, a Jordy Mercer, or maybe mm-hmm. someone who could overtake Escobar as a starting short or any of one of those guys in their respective positions. But Atuna is currently on the active roster. Um, you know, he's what, He's 20. He just turned 22, uh, a young kid, and, and the Nationals think highly of him, obviously enough to put him on the active roster. I don't think we saw him play, make his major league debut at the end of the season, but the fact that he's up here now, you know, that's going to be a guy that you're going to see with an invite, invite to spring training, like a non-roster invitee, because I would imagine that at some point he gets booted off this roster, assuming the Nationals sign someone to take that spot. 
Right, exactly. But a good look for him yeah. as far as, you know, moving up, being on that 40-man, um, given his situation right now. Um, and then, so... The outfield is what you would expect it to be with right. the return of Juan Soto essentially taking Gerardo Parra's spot. So, Yadiel Hernandez, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, uh, Andrew Stevenson, and Lane Thomas. Um, those are your five outfielders. And if you go into spring training with that, that's that's probably what they expect it yeah, to be. I yeah, think that's a, the outfield's exactly what they expect that to be. So, that leaves them at 37 players. Now that those three pitchers who were on the 60-day IL are activated because, of course, they have to activate them and put them on that 40-man um, going into next week. So, they're at 37. So, that leaves three spots to kind of play around with. They have a few guys that they would possibly protect from the Rule 5 draft, and we'll get into them more last week. But I think you're considering protecting Donovan Casey, mm-hmm. um, maybe Evan Lee, Israel Pineda, eh, maybe. Um, and then if they plan on taking anybody in the Rule 5 draft, they have to have a spot left on that 40-man. So three spots to play around with right now if they don't make any trades or anything like that within the next 10 days. Yeah, the Israel Pineda issue is that now, we talked about this a bunch, now the Nationals have catching depth. Right. And so he might be the odd man out. I mean, he's still a top 30 prospect, um, I forget exactly where he lands. He is, according to MLB 27th. Pipeline, 27th. Um, but, you know, you've got – we just talked about the three guys that are already up there. Uh, don't forget Drew uh, – uh, Millis? Drew Millis? Mi- yeah, Milis, Milis, I think. Milis, Drew Milis, who came over um, in what, – what, he was the second part of some trade. Oh, it was uh, with Oakland, um, mm-hmm. part of the uh, Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes deal. So now the Nationals have catching depth, and it just doesn't look like Pineda might have a spot. Now, just because he's exposed to the Rule 5 draft doesn't mean he gets selected. And it might be more of a matter of that, not only that they don't have to worry about being so high on him right now with the catching depth that they have, but also he hasn't made it past high A. So are they really worried about him actually being selected? And it's not like the Nationals organization for a long time has had... History of a history of having great catchers. catchers. <laughs> right. So like, we just talked about like, they finally have it. Right. So I don't know who's looking at the national organization and be like, I want to pluck a catcher. You're probably exactly. going to pluck a pitcher, if anything, from this from this organization, yep. um, from this minor league depth. So I wouldn't – I agree with you. I don't expect him to be protected, but I, I, it would shock me, honestly, if he got selected yeah. anyway. So yeah. he, he, I would imagine he would still stick around. Exactly. And so we mentioned the arms, Tim Kate and Evan Lee – and Richard Gosh, Gosh, yeah, are the pitchers that um, are Rule Five eligible that could be taken that they would have to protect. Tim Kate had a really bad year. Um, Evan Lee had a much better year, 104 strikeouts and 77 innings, which is good. Hasn't done as well in the Arizona Fall League, but that's a guy that could be taken that I think the Nationals will look to protect and Evan Lee's their number 21 overall prospect yeah it's we'll get into this more next week when we talk about it but like it's it's curious that so there's eight Nationals prospects in the in the AFL Mm -hmm. three of them are eligible for the rule five draft that would be Evan Lee Israel Pineda and Donovan Casey it's kind of interesting I think you're I think you're right I think Casey gets protected just because why would you trade for him right now just just to risk him uh risk losing him uh, but you know, in terms of Evan Lee, you know, it's like 
it's kind of like a good and bad thing. You want them to do well in the Arizona it's Fall League, league but if they do, that makes them more like you're like that's even more yeah yeah more makes them more likable more likable yeah it gives other teams more looks at them. Now you might be in a completely different situation. Right. Obviously, but, there's not a whole. I mean, you right. throw how many innings in the Arizona Fall League, but still, if you have a good season and then you go down there and you keep it up, yeah, it gives other teams more looks at your guys. But conversely, it could also hurt because, like you said, Lee's not doing too well in Arizona. Three three nine four ERA and just five and two thirds innings, right. six and over six relief appearances. Uh, he has kept the ball in the yard. He only started six home runs during the season with Wilmington and has not given up a home run in Arizona. So that's a good sign for him. Um, and again, that's something that the Nationals are looking for either relievers, keeping the ball in the yard. He's got a low strikeout to, uh, I guess, a low walk to strikeout ratio, uh, especially uh, over his season with Wilmington. So that was a good sign for him. And um, it, it's just, it's it's interesting. It's, I don't, we'll talk about it next week. We don't yeah, talk we'll about it right now. We'll get into all of those guys next week, whether the Nationals should protect them, not protect them. Um, but right now, as it stands, they have three spots to play with. Potentially th- protect can protect three guys if they're not going to take anybody in the Rule 5 yeah. draft. Is it likely that they take somebody in the Rule 5 draft? Hard to tell right now because the Nationals are in a different situation than they've ever been before. But this would be a guy that you'd have to keep up on your team all year. And it's, I mean, they're, they're a lot more forward, a lot more ready than any prospect you're going to draft. Um, but... You also have to have them up all year. And are they really worried about that this year? Well, the other thing is, is we, we know the Nationals are trying to kind of move around their organization and not necessarily change philosophy, but like they're doing a whole different look to it. They're revamping it, right? So does that include the Rule 5 draft? Do they say, hey, this is a market we, could, we should probably start tapping into? Because that's, that's what rebuilding teams do. Exactly. Um, and we haven't really done it. We haven't, need, we haven't needed to. So, But now... It might be interesting, but now with only three spots open, yeah, it's like, why not we just, why, let's just add an actual major league talent there mm-hmm. that could help us win more games than just taking a random shot on a prospect that could not pan out. True. And, or the reverse where we're also talking about, do we need a backup third baseman or somebody mm-hmm. to fill in one of those infield spots, potentially a left fielder, a rule five guys, the guy you could get for a lot cheaper than going out and signing a free agent um, to fill in one of those spots. So yeah. that's a possibility as well. Going through the list of pitchers still now on the active roster, Johan Adon is still on. And don't forget, he pitched really well in that season finale against the Red Sox. Um, he stays on the active roster at only, uh, he just turned 23 is nuts um gerardo carrillo again part of that dodgers trade the other pitcher to come across um he's he's on the active roster paulo espino still on there so it looks like they're going to keep paulo around which is nice to see um and then pretty much everyone else you would expect clobo's back andres machado still there patrick murphy who you mentioned um of course now perez uh seth romero added back on johan romero added back on um, and Mason Thompson, Wander Suero still there, are still sticking around along with your traditional, your normal guys. And Josh Rogers, of course, too. Don't forget about him because he ended the season on the IL. It's a lot of pitchers, and we talked about it before. They're going to use a lot of pitchers next year. It's going to be a rotating door, especially out of that bullpen. Hopefully they don't need as many starters because that means that Strasburg and Corbin are healthy. Most of Strasburg and Corbin's being effective. And Joe Ross is healthy. 
Uh, but I would expect you're going to see a lot of relievers coming out, coming up and down between the minor league system and the major league club and giving, trying to give David Martinez quality innings. Right. You, you're hoping you're not seeing as many of those new names in your rotation. Like In an ideal scenario, we wouldn't have seen Paulo Espino on the scene yeah. this year, so on and so forth. Ended up working out for a lot of those guys. Uh, but I think you're exactly right. As far as that bullpen goes, you're going to see a lot of new names and a lot of rotating names, um, getting innings, kind of auditioning, trying out, seeing how that goes. Uh, another a name that... Well, right, well, let's get to some of the uh, minor league free agents, actually, because this does some, somehow affect the, the 40-man, um, and specifically with Kyle McGowan. Uh, he, again, like I said, he was sent down to AAA after they claimed Fran, uh, Francisco Perez on Friday. He, of course, had a UCL injury, and, and, and that ended his season. They were expecting him to be back next year, but now he is declared a minor league free agent. The Nationals have 28 per Baseball America, and um, among those guys are, these are names that hopefully you guys will recognize, Dakota Backus, right-hander, Aaron Barrett, still at the club, now a minor league free agent, Rafael Bautista, outfielder, talked about Fuentes, talked about McGowan, uh, Daniel Palka, outfielder, catchers Rowdy Reed and Jackson Reitz, adding to that catcher depth, they're now minor league free agents, uh, and right-hander Jeffy Rodriguez and outfielder Rhett Wiseman. Um and so in terms of McGowan, you know, obviously the injury set him back. Not a great look. Well, not a great look, but like bad luck. Mm-hmm. And now he's a minor league free agent. You know, of course, any of these guys can sign back with the with the Nationals probably on a minor league deal. My guess is that McGowan would be one of those options because he knows the club, the club knows him. Um, and with him being injured, I don't know how many teams are going to take a chance on him. That's the thing. McGowan's kind of one of those guys that, Maybe as a fan or even following this organization is a little bit harder to let go. But then when you look at how many innings he actually threw this year, he was hurt before that UCL. Um, and I think it was his, his arms, biceps, something. He, mm-hmm. he, he missed a, went on the IL. And then, of course, that ended his season. So it's like how valuable is a guy, especially when you need guys to eat up some innings here, who's – constantly hurt i always forget I, I i went back and looking how he came to be a washington national he was drafted by the angels in the fifth mm-hmm. round in 2013 and i always forget he was a part of the danny espinoza trade and that was i believe that went down during nats fan fest winter winter what do they call it winter fest winter fest um at the convention center back in december of 2016 and i remember covering that because that was the year that there was a bit Dusty Baker was going into had just finished his first year here, going into his second season. There was a big falling out between Espinosa and Dusty Baker at the end of that season, and so the Nationals traded him That's away right. and got Kyle McGowan back. And you know he was he played a role in the bullpen mm-hmm. over the course of the four seasons. An ERA just under six, not great, inflated by a shortened 2019 season where his ERA was over 10, uh, but bounced back to pitch to a 4.20 ERA in 27 outings, the most outings he had ever had with the club this past season um, at times looked pretty solid. It was never really used in high leverage situations, Mm-mm. I think. And uh, that's kind of a tribute to why he had maybe one of the better numbers out of that nationals bullpen. Um, but you know, regardless of the situation it is, you need to get outs and he was able to get outs for the most part. Um, and, and when we did see him get put in high leverage situations, he seemed to struggle. Right. Exactly. And I think that's what kind of makes the difference there, especially when you're trying to make room on this roster. But like you mentioned, doesn't mean you're never going to see him again. Right. Just uh, was outrighted to waivers 
just last Friday. Yeah, just on Friday. And then now is a minor league free agent. I know Aaron Barrett. I know Nationals fans are going to want to hear about yeah. him, talk about him. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can pull up his minor league numbers right now. I don't know how he performed this year. Um, but he's, he's another name where if you're a fan, you've yeah. been following this organization, you don't want to like go up because, because, you know, he's just kind of a fan favorite. Yeah. He has a great story there. Um, but as far as you go and dig into the numbers and see how just valuable he is, doesn't necessarily uh, quit. Of course, made his triumphant return from that terrible arm injury back in 2019, was able to get a ring with the World Series team, um, then only pitched in two games back in 2020. But checking out his minor league numbers of, over the past couple of years, and the other thing is, too, he's 33 now. He'll be 34 in, in January. Uh, so entering his 34-year-old season, does a, does a rebuilding team offer? I mean, if it's just a minor league deal, there's probably no harm there. I don't know what other team, I don't know if it's taking a chance at this point because now he's proven that he can be healthy. Um, but I don't know what other team's going to have a need for a 34-year-old reliever with a history of arm injuries mm-hmm. other than the Nationals that will probably know him. He actually pitched to a 213 cumulative ERA uh, between AAA, AA, and single A this year. He is currently, or he did pitch in uh, the floor, uh, it was Lysi. Oh, the, uh, the Dominican Winter League, he pitched in five games, ERA over 10. So not so much success down there in, De- in the Dominican, but some success, actually a lot of success in terms of outings with uh, the minor league system, especially at Rochester, 222 ERA over 23 appearances uh, for the Red Wings this season. So not bad for Aaron Barrett. No. And if the Nationals just want to offer him a minor league contract, I bet you he, they'd be the only team. And he might be the only, you know, there might be a Ryan Zirin scenario where this is the only team they want to play for at this point anyways. Right. He's, it's it's another one of those uh, names. Aside from yeah. a major league deal. Yeah, exactly. Another one of those, yeah, those names. He's probably never going to come on to the scene, if you will, but a career, almost a career minor leaguer kind of, and mm-hmm. uh, a guy that probably will finish his career with the Nationals, probably with a minor league deal. I, I would be... I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna place a bet right now. I, yeah. I can see Aaron Barrett if he no longer plays or whenever he's done playing, taking a minor league coaching job with the Nationals okay. at some point, becoming a pitching coach. I mean, we know how much they value. We we heard about it too when he came back. What was it 2019? You know, he was already one of the, if not the oldest guy on that roster. Um, and then record remember that video of him being told that he's getting pr- the promotion, the call back up to the major leagues. But I think he said most of that year in double A, yeah, with Harrisburg and 275 ERA that season. And he was, they talked so much about how he was such a veteran leader for that club and for those relief pitchers. And we know the organization thinks highly of him. Now, with guys like Randy Knorr and Sam Naren taking minor leagues uh, jobs and coordinating jobs, I bet you there's someone that's someone that they could zone in on and be like, let's bring the bear back either as a player or as a coach because these young players can learn a lot from him and he's like kind of an inspiration and close i mean is kind of almost at a good age right now he has yeah. that experience and he's already going to be 34 so at a good age to take over um a minor league coaching job there potentially within the next few years i could definitely see that too um, um any other names i mean we talk, we don't talk about the catching depth too much um, Jeffrey Rodriguez is a guy that's been around the block yep. with this organization. Bounced back and forth. Yep, got traded to Cleveland, ended up back with the Nationals. Spent a good amount of time up with the team this year when they had so many of those injuries in the bullpen. Um, and 
you know, he's one of those guys that Nationals fans have recognized. I don't know how much value he has there, but I know Davey Martinez has been high on him and likes what he's seen. He just has never fully developed um, there, but could give them some bullpen depth. And then the, another name like that is Dakota Backus, is a, a name that Nash fans should probably be familiar with, who is now a minor league free agent. There is a list of 28 guys, not going to go through all of them, but just know you can find that. You can find it on my Twitter account. I tweeted it out at Bobby underscore Blanco. Uh, Baseball America has it. I'm sure many other outlets are publishing them too. So if you want the full list, you can check that out. I'm sure you can find that somewhere. Um, so that's it. 40 man roster at 37. Three spots open. Next week, we'll talk more about the Arizona Fall League and the guys that they need to protect uh, from the Rule 5 draft, which that deadline will be that following Friday, uh, the 19th, I believe it is. So um, that will be our podcast for next week. Before we get out of here this week, though, last night, Juan Soto named a finalist for MVP. I'm looking at our Facebook comments. A lot of people talking about Juan Soto, um, asking Scott Boris to or the Nationals to re-sign him. Um Gary Rosen, Gary not being too positive, saying he thinks he'll end up in Philly with Bryce and Kevin Long. Um, But yeah, uh, Juan Soto now a finalist for the National League MVP, the first time he's a finalist for the MVP award. We talked a lot about how he kind of got snubbed of at least being a finalist last year Mm -hmm. because of the COVID issues, we think. And then, of course, he was a runner-up to Ronald Acuna Jr. for uh, National League Rookie of the Year back in 2018. We kind of expected this. The other finalists are Bryce Harper and Fernando Tatis Jr. It's great for Juan. What are his chances, do you think? I mean, it's just kind of it's hard to predict how these voters vote, um, and it just depends on what you prioritize when right. you cast your vote and how these guys are going to finish. That could be, I think it could be a close race. I think it is going to be a close race, and we've, we talked about it towards the end of the season. I think I would still predict that Bryce Harper is going yeah. to win it, um, but I think Juan Soto being a finalist is definitely a good sign. I think through the last month of the season, you had a pretty good idea that he was going to be a finalist. Um, definitely well-deserved. It's For me, it just always comes down to that debate of where your team is and how important are you to your team. Um, will they vote based on that? It's so hard to tell. For me, I still would have my money on Bryce Harper if I was betting, Um, but I definitely think it's going to be a tight race, and and Juan Soto has a good chance. It's kind of interesting that of the six MVP finalists, both three each in the National and American League, they're all from teams that didn't make the playoffs. Right. That's very interesting to me. So like maybe like, that evens out the race a little bit. Yeah, more. maybe that's true because we talked about it last year being like just because Juan Soto was on a bad team, he got maybe overlooked. Well, Bryce Harper and Fernando Tatis Jr. While both of those teams had way higher expectations, I think, especially halfway through the season, they ended up being on bad teams or mm-hmm. and teams that they didn't make the playoffs. So, um, so if none of these none teams of these made the playoffs, right. then maybe that that isn't a f- as much of as a factor. And if you're looking at that and you're looking purely just at the numbers, then I think Juan Soto has a whole lot more chance. Yeah. And I think that those, those are the only races where they didn't have a representative from a team that made the playoffs. Everyone else has a, someone from who made the playoffs, including Which, Max Scherzer, who is a finalist for the national league Cy Young award. Right. He is, of course, he was listed as a national slash Dodger. I have to imagine if he wins that Cy Young is going to LA, not Washington. Um, Because he finished the season there, but good for Max. And also want to give a shout out too to this guy right here who I found his bobblehead, uh, Michael A. Taylor, won his first career gold glove 
in center field with uh, the Royals. So congratulations. We all knew he had the ability, the yeah. potential. First of many potentially. He I grabbed think, for Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, he grabbed his mic. He grabbed his first Gold Glove. Um, so proud of proud of him, and uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. But yeah, we'll also talk about that next week because actually we won't even know the results when, by the time we go on air next week because they next announce week. MVP. Uh, last, but we'll, maybe we can talk about that a little more. Come do a comparison of Harper, Tatis, and Soto entering the uh, the I guess the last awards of the, or the major mm-hmm. awards of the off season uh, for the regular season. But again, congratulations to Juan Soto to all the finalists. Um, it's fun, you know. I, I guess it's fun. it's like it's not like it's super like important. On to the last like yeah, yeah grass grass. <laughs> I can't get the it last out. holding on to the last like parts of baseball uh, yeah. for the season. Uh, it, it's exciting, and yeah. when you have Juan Soto in it, it makes it even more exciting. It is, it is, and, and you know that of course it's interesting that he's going up against Bryce. Bryce having the only MVP in NAS history back in 2015, um, and you know it, I'm very curious. I, I agree with you. I don't know if I said this. I agree with you. I think Bryce takes it home. I'm very curious to see how the voting panned out and mm-hmm. how close the race actually is, because you know it's like. You look at, it just depends what you like. I mean, Tatis has the home runs, but Juan Soto has the on-base percentage and the walks, but Bryce Harper has um, the the OPS and the OPS plus. And it's just, there's so many different factors that go into it that they all have their special unique talents that made them so great this season. Right. Um, so we'll see how, how voters uh, kind of prioritized all those stats uh, next week. And MVP being so, uh, that's, I didn't even notice that, that there wasn't one rep or one finalist on either side. Yeah, I, was, I had to check, double yeah. check the uh, the American League, but yeah. That, it's that made the playoffs. So two I Blue Jays and Shohei Atani. I think that makes it even more interesting because MVP is the one race where you're talking a little bit more about that. I mean, how right. valuable you are to your actual team. And if none of them made the playoffs, then maybe you're diving a whole lot. I mean, obviously you're diving deep into right, all of right, those right. numbers, but makes it even more important yeah. um, in this race. All right. Well, that will pretty much do it for this week. Um, again, we'll be back next week live on Facebook and YouTube, wrapping up um, some minor league talk, some awards talk, um, and then getting ready for the Rule 5 draft and more other off-season notes, maybe some news breaking. Uh, of course, check out MassinSports.com. Mark Zuckerman has your covers there. He back, he's returned from vacation after Pete and I covered him over the weekend. So Mark has you from here on out for the rest of the off-season. Um, and, of course, follow the Mass and All Access podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. You can find us wherever you like to get your podcasts. And follow Mass and Nationals across the board on social media at Mass and Nationals, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. At Amy Jennings News for Amy, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanqueu. Thank you so much to Brendan Mortensen for running the show behind the scenes. And thank you to you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.